When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome, everyone, uh, to Rock M Radio. Um, this is the beginning of a brand new episode of Dive Cut, uh, somewhere towards the end of the sixth season, uh, and we are live, uh, live on YouTube. If you're following along, thank you for for being here with us. Uh, hopefully, we're going to talk a lot about Missouri basketball Tigers. Um, on your right is the one, the only, the incomparable. Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? Uh, really need to stop looking at a computer screen after the last week. Uh, watched entirely too much basketball, so I think after we're done here, I'm just gonna have to, like, go sit in a dark room and let my eyes rest a little bit. But I'm fine otherwise. I'm fine otherwise. I can't complain. Or should he, uh, the, the, the missus, uh, had a, a question about, uh, how, how much you were actually watching and, and, the answer scared you a little bit? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the final tally here. I think I hit 31 games. 31 games across seven days, I think. Something like that. Jesus. Uh, that's a lot of basketball. Um, yeah. Well, you are you are appreciated for the amount of, uh, amount of you know, game film that you chew through uh, in the offseason. Um, so... We're going to go ahead and, and kind of get into this. Um, basically, sort of starting with, I guess, the most relevant uh, news, uh, which is that um, Missouri's 2024 recruiting class um, had movement, I guess you could say today, when uh, I'm going to you know, pop up here and see how, how well our graphics package works. 
Um, but Dallas Thomas, um, who is a top 100 four-star kid from Arkansas with Missouri offer, a guy that you and I both liked a lot, uh, he committed to Clemson. Uh, so he is not going to be a Missouri Tiger. He will be a Tiger. Uh, in fact, he had an 80% chance in his top five of being a Tiger. Um, believe it was Memphis, Mizzou, LSU, Clemson, and Arkansas. So yep. four Tigers and a Hawk. Um, but he did go with Clemson. Um, you did write about his, uh, you know, his potential uh, commitment. Uh, so what are, you know, what is Missouri losing here with, with uh, without Dallas Thomas on board anymore? Uh, I hate comps because I think sometimes it sets unreasonable expectations and sometimes I think they're both well, they're still kind of helpful shorthand you know to me he was sort of a guy who if you were to just look at him on the hook maybe would kind of give you some reminiscent or some you know reminder of what a Brandon Miller kind of looked like really long really lean um perimeter oriented like he's going to be called a stretch four we call him a jumbo wing but if you watch him play with Brad Beal elite a lot of time spacing out, a lot of time playing on the perimeter, really not a four, um, more of a, of a jumbo wing, really a guy who is reliant on catch and shoots this time, a lot of time, uh, you know, spacing to the corner, a lot of time spacing to the opposite slot where he's going to, you know, spot up. Um, Brad Beal Elite has a couple of really good point guards that they will put in the middle of the floor and have them drive and they'll kick to him. They can play off the you know, post with Leighton, uh, I'm looking here, uh, names escaping me right in uh, Somerville, you know, a Rutgers commit, more of a back-to-the-basket big that play off of him. So a lot of what he got this summer were catch-and-shoots. Um, still not a guy, though, you know, if you just go his frame, though, that really has a lot of strength to catch, rip through, and drive. Um, not a guy that at this point I would say you could really have a lot of creative power. You would have wanted him to kind of come in, be a guy who could give you some shooting, you know, some length on defense. He's he's sound defensively, you know, can play within the team concept. But realistically, you know, I think a lot of people are probably going to say that sounds a lot like Trent Pierce. And that's kind of the vibe you get when you watch him. Um, doesn't mean I didn't like him. Doesn't mean that, you know, he's, you know, not a guy who could have helped. But he's a guy that you were probably going to need at least a year of waiting for that physical sort of development, waiting for the strength program to help him and then to see, you know, what you can maybe get out of it. But they already sort of have a developmental, you know, kind of hybrid as a sophomore at Aiden Shaw. They already have a developmental hybrid in Trent Pierce. So a, kind of a lot of overlap there if you were to just look at skill set, timeline, things like that. Still a really great prospect, really like his game, but, you know, you're starting to kind of get into a question of, don't we already have three of these on the roster he commits? So, um... Really hope he does well at Clemson, though. Uh, it seems like they did the thing that you want to see a school do, and they really prioritize him. They really put his development first. Brad Brownell is sort of always on the hot seat there, but he finds a way to develop guys, like in that weird kind of funky 3-4 mold. Like Hunter Tyson right now is having a really good spring, so or having a really good NBA sort of uh, summer league stint with the Denver Nuggets. So, yeah, uh, tough to miss, but you can kind of understand you know, maybe the fit issues and, and maybe why he's headed to uh, the ACC. Well, you know, and I think as anybody who's like listened to, you know, this podcast before and heard me talk about Trent Pierce, you know, a lot of the same things I was saying about, you know, Dallas Thomas. He's a guy that I 
personally like that, you know, I think getting longer uh, and more athletic on that kind of like three, four hybrid spot. Because uh, really, like, those are the guys that, you know, like I, I see Pierce as a guy who will probably see the, you know, spot minutes at the four once he bulks up a little bit uh, yeah. or, you know, at least gets stronger, um, you know, but ultimately like he's comfortable on the wing and i think when you kind of look at thomas in a lot of the same way he's not quite as big as pierce but he's still a guy who uh you know i think sort of fits that you know what you're maybe looking for in your three through five spots which are guys who can handle the ball aren't really going to be your primary uh ball handlers but you know guys who can space the floor shoot play defense um you know and and move without the ball and i think like he kind of fits in that mold now that said, I mean, I'm with you. Like, I definitely understand when you look at, like, how the roster is stacked uh, at the moment. Um, it certainly, like, it's understandable why he might look elsewhere. I think, uh, you know, Missouri, when you look at who else is on the board, and you know, uh, you know, where kind of Dennis Gates was spending his time, um, you know, in, 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 in Summer League and, like, who he's spent his time watching it didn't really seem like like Thomas was a guy that they felt like they really needed in the class. Uh, you know, where you definitely get that feeling, you know, with, with Barrett, uh, you know, with Boswell, uh, and certainly with, uh, honor, Batang. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I, like if, if you end up with a class that has honor, Batang in any shape or form, I think you That's consider it. that class yeah. a win. Um, yeah, he's a guy that I think is going to fit into, any roster right away and, and, and impact it early as a freshman. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I would say disappointed a little bit that maybe we didn't, um, we didn't get in a little bit more time to, you know, see how the class breaks down before you maybe lose a guy who I, who I thought was gettable at Thomas, um, yeah. you know, but certainly, uh, certainly some, some key guys back on the board. So we're going to keep experimenting with some of our, uh, um, our features here um we have comments and so it's kind of nice to uh (laughs) since we're talking about recruiting um actually like i appreciate bradley uh sent this in before we even went live um thank you bradley (laughs) but he said uh essentially uh, mizzou only take three players or he had heard that mizzou is only looking to take three players in this high school class do we agree with that uh, and if you had to choose who who the next two would be, I think you know, like, uh, Batang has to be at least one of them. If you're yeah. if you're making like a dream scenario, I'm yeah. not convinced that they're only going to take three. Uh, I think it depends on on like key factors. So, for one, I they're comfortable with T.O. Barrett. Um, yeah, but if you can add T.O. Barrett and Boswell and Batang, like, are you then? Like I think you're probably looking at adding four, right? You probably want somebody with at least some size, and if yeah. you, like Peyton Marshall comes on board, are you going to turn him down? Like I like it, I think it just depends on like a lot of a lot of things here. Yeah, I, I always sort of say the the you know the baseline class for me is two to three, just because they're going to they're probably going to have minimum of six spots that they fill seven, I think six or seven. You know they've shown that they'll dip into the JUCO ranks. You know, this is also supposedly a really good year in the JUCO class, or at least that's what, you know, I heard from a couple of JUCO guys. Last month was there's some real nice talent coming through. There's going to be a little bit deeper group in that top 10. 
this has been a group that's shown that it's willing to go into that rank to get at least a depth piece. So if you assume that there's going to be a Juco guy, you know, maybe that comes in at some point, you're at three to four there. And, you know, there's always sort of roster churn that's going to happen. And they'll probably have to look at three to four transfers. That's a long way of saying, I think two to three is probably the good bit floor for where they're going to be. I think you want to take three, you know, sort of every year. That's a good safe bet. You know, if you looked at where they spent last week, they, Dennis Gates, you know, I think I, you know, I'd have to double check the the stream again, but, you know, watch Marcus Allen live, watch Bishop Boswell. I've watched Honor Batang live, you know, was supposedly in Houston where Ryan Jones, a guy who they've offered, was playing and was, you know, taking in him. So there's three to four right there. <laughs> that they're sort of looking at and they haven't kind of chopped the list out at this point. So I think two to three is probably a good, you know, window. I think Bear is obviously in the in the mix. Boswell is a definite take. I think, you know, I would still put Botang in there. And then realistically, you know, can you find a big, whether that's, you know, Peyton Marshall or it's Trent Burns, you know, I think, you know, that's probably the best case to go. I think it would be hard for me to see them going north of four, though. I think it three to four would probably be the most expansion you'd see unless it's just like a dream class scenario where John Bull calls you back and says, I want to come too." like it. I think two to three is probably the floor. Three to four is probably nowhere it would expand to after that. Yeah. I, I think I'm kind of, yeah, the same place. Like when it comes to who you're adding, when you're adding, uh, you know, like that's going to play a key role. I think they would like to take a big, um, you know, but if you miss on kind of like your top three or four targets, whoever those guys are, uh, you know, which I think we all kind of assume at this point, like they are recruiting Marshall that, uh, though, um, and you just mentioned his name, uh, Ryan Jones. Yeah. Jones is more of, he's more of a four, more of a hybrid four, but he, you know, he is a guy who sort of emerged. He, he, he was offered by Gates and, and by CY prior to, uh, you know, their Missouri days. Um, Gates actually was one of his first offers at Cleveland State. Yeah. Uh, and so the relationship has been there a long time, but he sort of fell off our radar, radar and I don't really think we considered him, yeah. you know, a potential lab, but he did mention Missouri in, in sort of a recent article. Yeah, he mentioned that Missouri, you know, has been in contact. He's set four visits, so I think, yeah, the question is, would Missouri get a fifth visit, you know, out of, out of that spot? I still think, you know, the bigger you know, targets are, you know, do they want to try and get Trent Burns on campus? Yeah, you know, Trent Burns has said he wants to get to Columbia. Peyton Marshall has said he maybe wants to take a second visit to Columbia. Auburn has sort of fallen out of that race. It looks like it's Georgia Tech, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Missouri at this point for him. So, you know, I think they'll want a big in there. Uh, they, Common Mocker is another guy, or Common Maker is another guy who's had an offer for a couple of months. Didn't see anybody watching him in uh, North Augusta at Peach Jam, but had a really nice week for the Oakland Soldiers. Um, he's another guy that's sort of on the board there. But I think they'd probably want to take a big. But, again, I think the, the names I'm going to continuously keep you know an eye on are Bishop Boswell, Honor Botang, and you know M- Marcus Allen. What are they going to do and sort of that to round out the perimeter spots there and, and how they want to fill in those. So, uh, you know, Tyler wants to know why uh recruiting side hasn't hired you to evaluate talent, Matt. 
they're very smart. And also my wife murder me. My, my wife. They also, they also don't necessarily pay all that well. And, uh, you know, like, um, Matt has a comfortable living in Indianapolis. Uh, I think Ian, if I took with my wife murdering me, if I took that job, yeah, she... <laughs> it would gone all the time, you know, like, uh, you know, going to different recruiting events or at least gone most of the, uh, <laughs> most of the off season and then, you know, attending some basketball games here during the season. Yeah. Um, my, for those who don't know, my wife, uh, works for the organization group here in Indiana and works, uh, on recovery teams and does, you know, two to three 24 hour health shifts a week. She's not going to be like, Hey, you're gone to, to watch basketball. No, she'll just find a different husband. She'll like trade me in. <laughs> <laughs> and be like, no, we're done with you. Um, no, I, I don't think anybody uh, needs that or wants that with me working for a recruiting website. So uh, kind of getting back to uh, what's next for Dennis Gates, um, very clearly we've laid out who the priorities are. Uh, you know, I think Boswell is uh, as high on the list as, as Patang is. Um, you know, they have seemed, they seem to have kind of like this list of like, you know, three to five bigs, um, where, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're comfortable taking, you know, like a, a comma maker guy or, you know, somebody like that versus, you know, a Trent Burns who, you know, it, it did, did sort of struggle, uh, in some, uh, some minutes. Um, so like, I think what you're kind of getting past a few of like your top targets with that guys, you're probably comfortable waiting. Uh, to see what a nurse in the portal in the following spring. So yeah. um, I think a minimum they probably take three uh, with, with Barrett. Um, but I I would say if, if they end up with, um, I mean, if, if Batang and uh, Boswell and Marcus Allen all want to commit, like, are you going to turn them down? We'll get there when we get there. Ah, I mean that's, that that sounds like a, a tough problem to have. Yeah, that that that's a good problem. But, you know, I think that's a one that Missouri fans would like them to have. It's the thing you begin to get into once you sort of Matt Watkins and I have looked at this and it's very wonky. I'll try and be very, very straightforward. When you look at percentage of minutes played in the in different metrics Torvik's like player rating system where you even look at Evan Mia or even if you just use points per possession. If you look at percent of minutes and efficiency, realistically, the bottom begins to drop out in terms of impact guys around 50 or 60. You know, once you get past that, the typical freshman is probably, it's really rare if they're playing more than 12 or 14 minutes a night. And if you get outside the top 100, it's especially rare for them to clear eight or nine. You know, this is a, you know, a, a coaching staff that has clearly, you know, acted in a lot of ways like a JUCO coaching staff, where they're going to go get guys that can come in and play right away, and they don't overburden the roster with too much developmental guys. If you get into a situation where you miss on primary targets and you're taking three or four guys, but they're all guys that are probably lower than like 100th and 120th in the composite, you're really taking up a lot of roster spots with guys who aren't going to be able to come in historically and give you a lot in the rotation mm-hmm. at that point. So 
realistically, if they get into a situation where it's at two to three and they're having to start to reach into 140, 150 in the composite, you're better just pocketing than that and going to the spring and just looking in the portal or looking into the JUCO market if you want to try and find a depth piece. So that's sort of the thing I look at is realistically, I'm kind of cutting it off at number 90 in the composite. You know, if once you get past that, it's probably smart for you just to tuck that away and go see what you can do in the transfer portal in the spring and see how you can augment. Yeah, and I, I do think it's worth noting, uh, you know, within that kind of phrasing that uh, one thing to kind of keep in mind with, you know, the three-man class that, you know, just came in is all those guys were really kind of sold by the staff as, you know, wait. being developmental pieces uh, and understanding that, you know, this first year is going to be a lot of developmental time for you. Um, you know, they're going to try to find the minutes. They're going to try to get them, uh, in where they can. Uh, but, you know, really kind of looking out at their, you know, their second season as the season where you're going to take on a larger role. Um, so we do have a you know, question where, you know, asking if it's fair to say it, honor Batang is the number one priority on the board at the moment. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I would say so. I, you know, from, from what, we've seen with how Dennis Gates and Kyle Smith Peters have been tracking uh, Batang and, and making sure that they're visible for her, you know, his, his, his games. Uh, you know, if, if there's a top spot, uh, you know, it maybe it's him and Boswell. Uh, yeah. It certainly seems to me like, you know, but it's, that would be like, you know, one a and one B. I don't like, I really think that they're, they're prioritizing, uh, you know, Batang as, as much as you can. Um, and, uh, you know, with Arkansas lurking, I, so what, one thing to kind of keep in mind, and I know that, you know, uh, Matt knows as well, uh, also the difficulty with Arkansas recruits tends to be that a lot of those kids grow up in Arkansas and grow up rooting for the Hawks. Batang did not grow up in Arkansas. Like his parents are not from Arkansas. They came to Arkansas. Yeah, uh, and so that's not as big of an obstacle to overcome. I mean, look, Eric Musselman, for all of his weird faults and shirt removal, uh, has proven to be a formidable recruiter and a good program builder. Um, you know, at the same time, he's also quick to throw players under the bus, and uh, and certainly will go to the portal and get somebody uh, with more experience over, you know, using, uh, you know, talented freshmen. So, uh, you know, I think, I think you're going to be concerned that Arkansas is, is in there and, and hanging around, especially, you know, with NIL stuff as well. Um, but I don't think this is like, a you know, a thing where it's like you're fighting an uphill battle, uh, you know, trying to recruit against Arkansas. Yeah. Um, Boateng's parents are, you know, academics, one I think works at UALR, and the other one is at the University of Arkansas's medical school in Little Rock. So, you know, they relocated to take those jobs. So they, you know, are, Little Rock is home, but it's not home home for them. The other thing is Boateng has been very clear throughout his process that he's, you know, staying home is not like a big thing to him. Like he's going to go where he's going to get, he says, and, you know, if you do any backgrounding on him he's sincere when he says he's going to go someplace he's going to get a good education so i think that that's going to be the thing that matters here is you know what's the academic environment going to look like and i think it's going to be you know realistically you know what's his staff relationship look like 
that said, Arkansas, I he fits very well what Arkansas wants to do, where he can you know be a dominant one-on-one player. A lot of what Arkansas does is they structure their offense, create a lot of ISO situations or one-on-one situations where guys can win those matchups, and Honor Botan can go win matchups. Um, so I think if you're if you worry about Arkansas, you worry about the stylistic fit. Muss has also been really, really good at if it's an in-state priority, you know, like a Nick Smith when Nick Smith isn't hurt, or um, Moses Moody, or even kind of a Jalen Williams. Those guys will find a way into minutes. If Honor Botang was Dallas Thomas, who is in the 70, 60 to 70 range, you'd start to worry a little bit for him. Muss has shown that, you know, if you're not a top 30 level kid, Arkansas off ties may not matter so much. He's going to play guys that want to play. You know, he just lost two guys who were in-state commits this spring, you know, to the transfer portal because they didn't see the floor and there wasn't going to be a path there and they got recruited over. So I think the thing you worry about more is that, you know, Boateng will look at Fayetteville and see, all right, if I walk in here, the system's going to be structured for me. There's a history of guys like me getting touches. But I don't think it's an affinity for I grew up calling the Hogs. I think if it if it's Arkansas, it's because there's a really really good scheme fit and personnel fit for him there. That would be the thing that would worry me more about Arkansas. Uh, any other recruiting notes you want to end on before we we move on from the topic? No. Well, it's it. It'll be interesting to see what timelines look like moving forward here, but uh, I think we've I think we've covered just about everything we need to cover here. Uh, Aaron Rowe, twenty twenty five. Aaron Rowe was too good last week, and that's a problem. Very very good. <laughs> um, I told uh, a couple places that he's going to take fall visits. Uh, he's taking two unofficial visits to Missouri, but he's going to take an official visit in the fall. Uh, also going to take an official visit to Tennessee. Not a surprise given. The connections that Tennessee has to um, Mo Cannon to Link Academy, not a shock. And look, if you're a point guard that wants to play fast and have a ton of freedom and have the ball in your hands, Alabama's a place that's going to do that. So those are the three places that he says he's going to take visits in the fall. I'd also keep an eye on Kansas State. Um, I remember their staff, Rodney Perry, used to be the coach at Link and used to be the 17U coach. Uh, for Mocan. So those are kind of the four that I would keep an eye on. But he keeps playing like that. He's going to have bigger fish uh, milling around him in pretty short order. He was really, really good last week. All right. Well, um, yeah, so he should be on uh, on campus probably in the fall. Um, I, you know, I would expect Missouri to be very much in the mix uh until the end whether or not you know they have the pull to kind of you know get him um I, you know it's it's it'll be a, a long he's gonna be a top 20 uh, kid that yeah, that it, it, it'll, it'll be a marathon yeah um so our next topic here matthew um on friday friday thursday Thursday or Friday, whatever it was. Um, I released the, uh, or released, I set out on Twitter to kind of start getting 
uh, responses for the top eight. It's one of my favorite things to do in the offseason. Um, because even though we both sort of have this understanding of uh, this is a deep roster um, and Dennis Gates would like to play more than eight guys. We expect him to play more than eight guys. Uh, the, you know, the reality with it is, is someone is going to get more minutes than others. And so the idea is essentially to reduce what looks like a deep roster into who you think is going to be the priority and who is going to get the most minutes. That does kind of, uh, leave a lot of things open for a lot of people. This is a, a roster with a lot of turnover. Um, so we're, we're going to, you know, like, I, I think at this point we all, um, everybody seems to think Nick Honor's going to start because Nick Honor started it all last year. Um, so that's, that's probably true. Uh, you know, but the results, um, were way more of a consensus than I kind of expected it to be. Um, in fact, I'm going to get Levi worked really hard on this, uh, this graphic, um, then I always works hard and we just foul everything up. That's how this goes. Oh man, that's nice. That's nice, Levi. That's nice. Yeah, it looks looks good, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um it, here, here we go. Is it it's your, I see it. I see it. I know it's still showing that's loading. There we go. Boom, top eight. <laughs> uh huh. So um, the man uh, that got all the votes on everybody's list was Nick Honor. I had 36 or 37 submissions. Nick Honor was on all of them. Um, it's not a bad, it's not a bad bit. Yeah, I mean, he... <laughs> it's one of those things where it really is like he's he's probably the guy that you know uh even if there wasn't a huge um you know production that you you got from him i mean you did sort of at moments you got uh got him hitting big shots um but he's your fixture at point guard um who's gonna start is a good question um and i don't know that i i know the answer if i were guessing at this point uh you know i'm probably get i think he's gonna rely a lot on caleb grill uh i think noah carter is gonna uh certainly be there uh and i feel like from what we know john tanji is uh is probably the guy that's that's gonna see a lot of minutes um then i think you're probably looking at that last spot and maybe it, it you go small and maybe it's somebody like you know tamar bates maybe you go big with you know Connor Vanover, um, you know maybe you go athletic with Aiden Shaw. You know maybe you go ball handling with John East. Uh, Matt, what's your take? Eh, Nick Connor is going to be a stalwart. You know I think the the hope is that Shawnee shoots a little bit better this coming year, uh, and you know can play himself into some more minutes and maybe a larger, more expansive role as a lead ball handler. But for now, um, I'm going to go with. You know, Nick Honor as a guy who I think is going to be, you know, the you know, incumbent at the point guard spot. I really think John Tanji, you know, we've been pretty consistent in saying that we think John, you know, was probably underrated a little bit because of how quickly he committed, you know, the timing of it, 
and you know realistically they're not being like a lot of rollout or be sort of like um sort of like runway in terms of where reporting was and guys got really asked to know him but you know john tondy's guy who averaged 13 points per game against top 100 teams last year he did it on really efficient you know shooting he's a guy who you know played in a system that has a ton of overlap with what dennis and the staff do um can you know do a lot of different things defensively i wouldn't say he's a lockdown lockdown guy but he can play you know two through four in a switching system for you and just a guy that i think you know blends enough of the kind of stuff that you saw from dree and from demoy that you could play him into a spot there so i sort of pencil him in as a guy that i think is going to see time noah is the kind of connector that they really really like at that you know nail and you know or not nail but at the top of the key and at the elbow will he play the four will he play the five you know i think again that depends on if you want to play small you know you can shrink it and do that with him at the five but you know, when he was at Northern Iowa and playing really, really well, he was more of a four, so I could probably see him slotting into the four spot. So that had me pushing Vanover into the starting five, just because I think he's a guy that's going to give you the kind of link that you need defensively. Um, he's going to be accustomed to playing kind of in some of the coverages that Missouri wants to do. I think they may have to play some more drop coverage with him, but he's also a guy that, you know, is familiar with some of the concepts they want to do in five out. So those would be sort of my four that I would consider stalwarts the you know, combo guard spot realistically is grill or baits to me. You know, what do you think you want to have at that spot? You know, do you want to have you notice know, a pure floor spacer in that, you know, spot? You know, you've already kind of got a guy like that in John Tanji. Um I so I sort of defer to Tamar Bates. He's a guy who's played in a little bit of that role. You know, he's a guy too that has, you know, plenty of high major experience, a little bit better on the ball defensively or spent more time doing it. And Caleb Grill. So then that leaves the three sort of bench spots to me are Johnny's Grill and Aiden Shaw. Those are sort of that's how I broke it down and really thought it would go. And you know, I think I could see if Aiden Shaw, you know, is making a jump this summer and playing himself into some more minutes at the four spot or on the wing. But that's that's at least where I'm starting at this point. Yeah, and uh I think you know, so I'm bringing up one of the comments here from from Cameron, who, uh, who basically, yeah, how do we think that the big rotation is going to play out? And curious to see what the uptick in Shaw's minutes are. And I think, like, when you're talking about, like, the playing rotation, I think, to me, the guy that I'm most curious to see, like, what happens with him is probably Aiden Shaw. And the reason is, like, Aiden Shaw was a very limited offensive player last year. Uh, and some of that was by design. Some of that was, you know, like they're not, not asking him to do things that he's just not capable of doing yet. Uh, but you hope that he is able to kind of take the steps, uh, you know, this, you know, off season to be able to do just, and, and not necessarily the kind of guy that you're going to throw the ball to, you know, late in the shot clock. But definitely you want him to be able to, like, you know, catch the ball in a kickout and attack a closeout. Yeah. Um, you know, can you use one or two dribbles to go by your defender, uh, you know, on a rip and, and you know, rip the ball through, get by him and get to the rim or, you know, just get to your sort of secondary area where you can either, you know, shoot or, or pass, pass the ball. Uh, and I think, like, that's kind of the next step 
uh, you know, for Aiden Shaw. If he's able to do those things and do those things efficiently and effectively, then I think he's a guy who is absolutely going to be in the top eight. For me, I was, I was positioning him in the top eight. Uh, because I'm kind of guessing that he's going to be able to do at least some of those things. I hope he takes mm-hmm. another step defensively. Uh, you know, I hope he takes a big step as a rebounder. Uh, this is a guy who can impact the game in those kinds of ways. Uh, you know, but if he's able to bring you those things and and he is able to kind of get a little stronger too, then I, you know, I think that there's a there are lineups where you could see him play. Uh, you know, minutes at like the four and the five spot. Um, you know, in some Missouri smaller uh, rotations, but I certainly think at least early on, we're probably going to see some healthy doses of Connor Vanover. Uh, and you know, at, at least when the non con uh, schedule is kind of you know playing itself out, uh, you know, seeing Hayes' Carolero, uh, as well. Yeah, it, really sort of interested in what the structure of the non con looks like. They looks like they're going to. They're not going to be able to do this sort of thing where they just loaded up eight or nine games in a row and, you know, really just have enough, you know, sort of leeway to tinkers. They're going to have, you know, some games early on. Um, at least Memphis, you know, looks like it's in the window where it's going to be a season opener. And then you're going to have to go to Pitt on November 28th and play a road game there. Um, so they may have to you know, make some concessions and chop things down for that. But I, I think it'll be interesting to see if they go with the soft non-con again, really use that time to explore the space and their lineup combinations. Uh, you know, Shaw has been a guy that we know we've talked about before. If the if the catch and shoots come around and he can, you know, like I said, get to a catch rip go and get to the rim, that becomes a guy that, you know, suddenly has some utility for you. You know, at least is a guy that can come in and, you know, give you some minutes probably in that fifth or sixth man spot. We'll see what he does there um, at this point. The other thing that's going to be interesting is, you know, where do guys like Kurt Lewis fit in? You know, smart of him to jump on an offer last January. It was a really, really rough spring for Juco's um, in terms of getting, you know, a lot of high major traction. So Kurt did a great job getting a spot locked down, but he's coming into a pretty crowded two and three spot there, you know, if the shooting translates from, you know, John Logan, you know, sometimes I'm dubious on the stat keeping at JUCOs, but if the shooting translates, then I think you have a guy that could, you know, play his way into some more minutes because you're going to need a guy who can knock down shots. He's Carolero. I like the things you see on tape, you see the scheme fit and you see why the staff liked him a lot. But, man, there's still stuff on tape against good teams where you're like, yeah, it's just, there's, you know, just some decision-making. There's some loose with the ball. I think he's going to be, there are going to be times defensively where he could get hunted a little bit. Um, But, again, this is a guy who effectively hasn't played for a year. So maybe he's going to walk in and just kill it in practice. But the history for guys like this, you know, transferring up and becoming, you know, little, you know, pretty regular contributors is pretty scarce. So we'll see what, what those two do. But then we get into the freshmen. And, you know, I, I think all these guys are aware that, you know, they, they may be having to bide their time a little bit. But, you know, if, if Jordan Butler shows that he can 
it'll be a guy that gives you some, you know, spacing and can give you some versatility as a five guy. Maybe he plays his way in, you know, instead of eight to nine minutes, you know, closer to 14 to 15. You know, with, you know, Anthony, you know, Robinson, you know, shows that he can, you know, be a pretty reliable guy that can spell a vet for 10, 12 minutes a game. Maybe that's a guy that you can put in there and see what he can do. But I really think the swing spots are probably going to be, at least to me, you know, does Shaw make a jump? Can Carol Lero, you know, carve out a niche at the four spot or the five as an undersized five? And then what's Kurt Lewis going to do? I really think those are sort of the three swing spots for me. Yeah, so uh, overall, the voting, Nick Honor, like I mentioned earlier, was on all 37 ballots. Uh, Noah Carter, John Tanji, and Caleb Grill were on um, 36 of 37 ballots. Uh, Aiden Shaw was fifth most at 33. Uh, and then Tamar Bates had 32. Sean East had 30. I have to think, like, Sean East not being on that many ballots is probably, like, an oversight. <laughs> Which, you know, I think when you're like listing guys, sometimes you just forget about guys. I think even in our our uh, chat with Matt Watkins on on Slack, I listed my top eight and I just listed seven guys. That's because I yeah. left off Sean East. Um, but Sean East was seven with 30 um, or on on 30 ballots. Connor Vanover on 30 ballots uh, and then nine. Uh, so the first guy that to just miss on uh, just 11 ballots, that was Kurt Lewis. Uh, yeah. Trent Pierce had six. Carolero had four. Uh, Caleb uh, Brown had one. Ant Robinson had a couple. Uh, Jordan Butler, zero. No votes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I wonder how many, like, you know, people that were submitting uh, maybe listened to the show. And, and co- we, we've convinced people that we probably won't see a whole lot of Jordan Butler this year. I still think it's possible that he's in the rotation. Um, I don't think he's going to be in the top eight minutes, though. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you you have to give minutes to these guys just to see what you have, just to have a baseline established. And, you know, if if they can – that's the one thing I do like about this non-con schedule is even teams like Pitt and Memphis are, are going to be teams that are going to probably be at least quad two teams. But, you know, I think they're both kind of in the 60s to 80s of, like, what Torvik's projections. So those are still spots where if guys are playing well, you could try and, you know, feed guys some minutes against, you know, high major caliber teams. You're not having to – the first time that they're going to, you know, you're not going to be debating going into Fall Gallon, do we need to give a guy some minutes tonight to see where he is or bragging rights. There's enough on the schedule right now that where I think you could – have some controlled situations where you put the freshman against some really quality teams that they've earned that and see how, you know, how well they're able to kind of tread water and keep their head up. But, you know, I, I, the one thing is when I've talked to all three of these guys, you know, the staff was very clear about, you know, what the expectations were. You know, Robinson knew he was going to, you know, be doing understudy work behind two veteran ball handlers this year. Trent Pierce knows he's got to put on weight. Jordan Butler knows that, you know, there's, you know, some things he's got to do defensively and strength-wise. So I think Again, it's easy for those guys to say those things before they get on campus and before they watch other guys play. But I think the staff has communicated to them very clearly, you know, this is a year where we're going to try and, you know, give you some time and see what you can do. But, you know, it, it may be a de facto kind of red-shirting situation. But if those guys defy expectations, that's found money. You know, I think that was the one thing that this team didn't have 
last year was it didn't sort of have the flexibility, particularly down the stretch and particularly in the backcourt, to sort of adapt as teams kind of figure out how this team played. So, you know, if those guys are ahead of schedule, even better. Again, it's a good problem to have if, if those guys have, you know, exceeded expectations early on. I, I think that's something the staff wouldn't would definitely not mind happening. And it's also difficult for the you know the team to play the way that they wanted to play uh, because the bench got a lot shorter as the season went yeah. on. Um, yeah. You know, not having, and, and you know, not just uh, you know missing out um, on Isaiah Mosley, uh, you know, but Trey Gomillion being unavailable uh, for a lot of games. Uh, you know, Ryan the Gray missing a lot of time. Uh, I just think like once the bench got shorter, it certainly. Uh, Made things more of a challenge. Uh, yeah, they were basically seven men deep by the time the season got into the home stretch. But it's they—they've at least I think, as we've said before, solved some of that. Sh- you know, efficiency translates up, but if there's you know some overlap or it holds a bit, I think things get a little bit easier. I think they're going to have the three or four uh, kind of extra bodies they need. Uh, so we've been at this for 43 minutes. We do have a sort of one more question I, I think is, is worth kind of getting to at this point before we get out of here. Um, uh, I've got to say, I am just admiring, um, some of the names, <laughs> like people's YouTube's account. Uh, uh that, all of you. question comes in from Boofin Tobacco. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love it. Uh, that's that's fantastic. Fair play. <laughs> Fair play. Uh, but Boofin, I'm assuming, is the first name. Uh, wants to know, do you, do you think this team's win more or less games last year? I think we both know the answer to that, just based on what we've seen in the non-conference schedule. It's going to be a tougher non-conference schedule. Uh, yeah, I just think it... Do you think they're going to be able to hit three kind of buzzer beaters again? Like I, they went nine and one in games that were decided by two possessions or less. That's really rare, you know. Again, it was fun. I'm glad that they were an outlier. It was fantastic that 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 was the result. It's just not something that's very repeatable. I think you can have teams that are resilient in late games. You know, teams as you know we talked about a couple of years ago. There were a couple of games for Zoe where they ran the right play, and a guy missed a shot. Like, what separated Missouri from having two or three quality wins on the resume and probably being in Dayton were Dree, you know, banking in two shots and then Nick Honor punishing a guy going under a ball screen. Like, you can't foresee those kinds of, you know, sliding door moments happening. But, you know, we know kind of what the probabilities tell us, and those are really rare. Um, So you take those three off the board, 22 wins is still a lot. Um, you know, are they going to be able to, you know, catch Kentucky as it's down again? I don't know. But, you know, are they going to be, is Illinois going to, you know, have apparently a locker room rife with drama when they show up Gabe bragging rights? Who knows? Like, there's stuff, you know, as much as we try and prepare for, there's always externalities that you can't account for. Um, but just looking at, you know, how things transpired last year, a little bit of the luck that was needed or, you know, some good fortune. I just, I don't know if that's repeatable. So 
even if this team is playing well, I don't know if circumstances will let them sort of, you know, at least as I sit here in July 10, you know, and say 25 wins is, I think it's going to be harder for them to hit that mark. But that's why they play games, and that's why we, you know, we try and, you know, know as much about this team so we can understand how they play and what they're trying to do, but they're still going to throw the ball up and go after it, so we'll see what happens. Sometimes you make your shots, sometimes you don't. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be tough for them to replicate the, just the volume of wins that they had last year, and I think, to me, with the way that the schedule has sort of built up, um, you know, I, I do think that uh, there's still room to move up in the league. Uh, you know, well, move up, I, I maybe may a loose term. Um, I still think like their league win total is uh, like repeatable. I I feel like they can they can do that this year. Uh, whether or not that means they get the four seed, uh, I don't I don't know about that. Uh, but you know, like the deeper roster should be help should be more helpful. You know, provided everything goes planned, should help them more. Uh, you know, down the stretch late in the season. Um, you know, so maybe if there's a couple of those games that got away from you, uh, you know, on the road, maybe you're more competitive and you can pull out a win. Um, you know, but I still kind of think you're probably looking at, you know, best case scenario. And then most, most of this is also because of, like we've been tracking SEC roster movement and there are some, you know, rosters of teams that are probably going to be ranked ahead of Missouri that I'm just, I'm not all that impressed by. Um, you know, like I think Alabama is a good example of a team that, I mean, they've, they've done a lot of work, but you know, how much better, I don't think they are going to be better than they were this year. Um, you know, like it, it just, and it's kind of like the whole thing with Arkansas. Like everybody's going to have Arkansas probably top 10, but they still have anybody who can shoot. Um, yeah. You know, so it's just one of those things where I think they could probably have a you know a really good SEC season. I think the non-conference part is going to make things rockier. Uh, so even if they hit the same mark in the SEC, which I think is possible, I don't think they do that uh, in the non-con. You know, going to yeah, the, the the way to look at it now is the, the tiers that I've seen most of the time when you look at you know way too early polls, and at least when I run you know, the returning production numbers, you know, I think you're going to see Arkansas, Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, and maybe Mississippi State and Texas a and Those are kind of, I think, the six teams you're going to see thrown around a lot. But I think the top four teams you're going to see a, a lot in polls and a top league are going to be Tennessee, Arkansas, Alabama, probably A&M. You know, the A&M one makes sense. They bring a lot of guys back. You know, those guys, they had a pretty good model for how they got wins last year so I, th- I could see A&M being feisty again you know I think Mississippi State's going to be potentially thrown in there because they bring a lot back and you know we're conditioned to really really value continuity and value returning production Mississippi State has that um Auburn I think is has at the point now where you just sort of trust Bruce Pearl I have questions about that roster I have questions about you know the backcourt there and whether those guys have enough juice to get it done, but Bruce inevitably gets his team somewhere around fifth or sixth at minimum. So we're just going to give Katie Johnson another shot until 
until then. So <laughs> realistically, I think there's going to be six teams here. Missouri, the teams I think that are going to be interesting to sort of evaluate and value are going to be, do you value Missouri? Because if you just looked at their three-man recruiting class, it grades out pretty well relative to everybody else. Now, we've just said the recruit, those recruits probably aren't going to play a lot, so you can discount that. Realistically, this is going to be where do you value the transfer portal classes? And two teams that I think are going to be really, really interesting to monitor are Ole Miss and Missouri and maybe Georgia. Those three teams are kind of outside the next tier. LSU's in there. Florida's in there. But, again, we saw LSU really raid the portal last year. They finished 13th. They kind of flipped the model. Is it going to be better? Florida went and got every big man on the market. Is that going to matter? You know, as I sit here now, there's probably five or six teams I could see just getting in the mix for fifth. Like, I think it's going to be really, really clogged. And like we talk about, we don't really know where Missouri sits until we go through and pick everything game by game. It's going to, you know, and last year it really took a three-team tiebreaker for them to get to the double bye. Yeah. So it, it took, it was really flipping two results that got them there. So I think they could, you know, they could win less raw games. They could win 22 or 23 games. They could still earn a double bye because of the way the tiebreakers work. So what's your... Yeah, and I, I think like that's... To to me that that's always why I just go by like what like kind of league record are you are you looking at um, you know with the the way the schedule becomes unbalanced uh, you know for me the mark for them is probably going to be you know making sure you get to ten and eight this year yeah um, you know that that's one less win than they had a year ago but if, I, I think if you get ten wins you're probably going to be uh, an NCAA tournament team. Yeah, uh, provided, I mean, provided you don't absolutely train wreck the not God. If you don't go with uh, Texas A&M, if you don't do what A&M did a couple of years yeah. ago, you don't tank so, on. And, you know, and Missouri's non-conference schedule is, is difficult enough with enough good teams that, uh, you know, they, they won't get, like, punished all that much for, for losing, you know, to Kansas on the road or even Illinois on a neutral. Um, if you if you can win those games then obviously uh you're just you're banking q1s and you know like that's always a good thing uh you know but to me like make sure you get to to 10 wins and i think you're probably safely in so i i do think they they win fewer uh games this year than not than last but i still think that i don't know maybe i'm just a believer in dennis gates um i think he has a really really uh innate ability to get guys to play with a lot of confidence and one of the so you know missouri had their sec takeover today and i remember flip you know at this point i kind of flipped on for a little bit the the kentucky game and you just see like missouri just look like they knew they were going to beat kentucky um and i think when you're kind of when you're looking at the differences in the rosters, you know, like obviously Des Moy Hodge is playing well in, in, you know, summer league for the Lakers right now. And, and Kobe Brown was a first round pick, uh, you know, versus, you know, but Kentucky had a lot of hype, right. And, uh, and they always do. And yet one team looked like they were by far the more confident basketball team in that game. And so I think like, if if Dennis Gates has his finger on the pulse of this year's team the way he did last year, uh, 
then I, I think you're talking like they, they should absolutely be back in the NCAA tournament. Um, and I, I think that's probably the expectation. Yeah. I mean, I, when I ran through, you know, just using kind of like Torvik as a baseline, I think Torvik's probably going to have them at eight and 10. You know, we'll see what the other preseason expectations are, but I could see a lot of people probably slotting this group somewhere between seven and 10 in the preseason. I think that's probably where I think we'll wind up seeing them. Um, there's the home and road schedules in the SEC are actually pretty balanced. They have a pretty good home schedule. You know, they get Memphis at home. We'll see if the Wichita State game is there. That may or may not still be on the schedule, but if they're hosting Wichita State, you know, that's a, those are two pretty manageable home non-con games for them. And then that probably leaves just six to seven by games they're going to fill in. But they the home SEC schedule is Arkansas, Florida, Ole Miss, South Carolina, A&M, Auburn, Georgia, Mississippi State, Tennessee. That's a pretty good home schedule to get. Um, you know, try and get your way and work your way to maybe six home wins there. I think the only teams they probably won't be favored against are, you know, possibly Tennessee, probably Arkansas, and we'll see where Auburn and Florida wind up in the mix. But other than that, I think they could, you know, at least have toss-ups or chances to get a bunch of get, you know, five or six home wins there. They're going to go to South Carolina, which is a game I think they can get. They're going to go to Vandy, which I think is a gettable game for them. So, again, it's always sort of the thing of, you know, where do you think they're going to be able to pick up wins? But, you know, they got to go to Ole Miss, which is tough. It's a first-year coach there, even that's Chris Beard. Uh, the schedule, I think, offers them a path to 10 wins is probably the best way to put it. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, we're going to get out of here. Uh, uh, 
So uh, every, any, everyone that's kind of still t- uh, tuned in at this point, um, we are going to try to do more of these live shows uh, or at least record the podcast live. I like the interaction. Um, I uh, find myself spending a lot less time on Twitter um, and I don't really trust Mark Zuckerberg to uh, give me the, you know, the kind of experience that I, I feel like you used to get, uh, you know, several years ago and in, in, in Twitter with that sort of interaction. Um, I've spent enough time on Instagram and Facebook to know that I've had my fellow suggested posts. Um, so I want to do more things like this, uh, where we can interact with, you know, people who are, uh, excited and passionate about Mizzou basketball, even if it's just, you know, 10 to 15 people at a time. Uh, I think that's, that's a good thing. And it allows us to kind of, you know, still be accountable and, uh, uh, you know, and, and interact and answer hopefully some, you know, some good questions. Um, so I do, uh, I do have to shout out a couple, uh, a couple folks. Um, first is my man, Dustin in uh, in Cape Girardeau coming through strong. Uh, you can follow Dustin, uh, is at Maggie underscore Ringo underscore one on Twitter. Uh, if you need help finding that, you just go to my recent follow list. Um, he is there. Uh, Dustin came through strong and, and got me, uh, got me hooked up with some some side project release uh beers uh to a uh, a spot down there so i'm going to meet up with dustin here in the future and get my beer i'm very excited about that uh and speaking of beer i had the uh, pleasure of meeting uh tyler who is at tmax bash on twitter uh at a side project release party for rye beer barrel time this is getting really in the weeds of of wonky beer nerd stuff but why not tyler I wonder, like, is that Tiger in the chat? Because we do have a Tyler in the chat. Uh, just, just make some project pay for ad space. Maybe, maybe we'll we'll record a podcast there. Who knows? Sheesh! One of these days. One of these days. Uh, we'll we'll have a. I almost wore my side project shirt. <laughs> yeah. So it was Tyler. Tyler uh, in the chat said that was a good beer. Right beer, barrel time. Great beer. Uh, so we're done here. Um, I don't know if we'll be back next week or not, uh, but maybe a couple weeks. Um, but I know uh, before the box score, they're going to start doing some live shows. Uh, and we've got some like cool stuff kind of coming um, along with, uh, like, I think Quentin, uh, our, one of our new writers, is going to be doing some, some cool videos with our, our beat writers. All kinds of stuff on YouTube, so make sure you're subscribed. Uh, and if you're not subscribed to YouTube, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast feed because you're still getting all this nonsense. Tom Foolery. Tom Foolery. Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Uh, and we'll talk to you soon. See you, everybody.